that um, I'm very happy to take a little present to your sponsored child because I'm going to India on the 18th of November for one week. And um, if you want to save postage of posting a Christmas present or birthday present, then bring it this afternoon um, if you can. And I will be happy on your behalf to take this present to them. So I'm doing something for you. You can do something for me. My secretary um, and PA has produced a recipe book, Hope for the Hungry, to raise funds for the uh, soup kitchens in CMCT. We have six soup kitchens. Every day, two social workers go to each soup kitchen, and they make a hot meal for the utterly destitute, people who are living on the pavement, uh, abandoned by everyone, and they gather into a little kitchen, and the, the social workers produce a lovely hot meal, give them love and friendship, sing songs in Tamil, and share the gospel. I've been in these soup kitchens many times when I go, and it's just wonderful to see the love of God in these destitute situations. And so, to run a soup kitchen for a year is about 7,000 pounds. And so, Jan produced 500 of these recipe books because she knows that people in this part of the world love food. That's one of the obsessions that we have here in the West. We love food. And um, my wife has one or two contributions to this recipe book. And I'm so thankful she's here today because I've lost my Bible, so I'm using her Bible. <laughs> I don't know what I've done with my Bible, but I had it when I come in, unless somebody has... Uh, acquired it for themselves. It's unlikely that you would steal a Bible, would it? Anyway, um, I'm giving these away for five pounds at the end if you would like to have a recipe book. You're very privileged as a church to get a visit from my wife. She never comes with me anywhere when I'm preaching. She says, I hear you enough at home. So she has come to New Mills, and she already has been blessed with the first service that you have here, and with the contribution that the children make um, in their actions and singing. It's absolutely brilliant. There's a wee redhead boy there, and I think that's Peter's wee boy, because he has to be small, Peter's small. <laughs> he was just so brilliant in doing the actions, and that is so impressive. The words that they're singing are so meaningful, and it's such a contribution to the service. We are both blessed this morning to see each one of them. The whole world has been stunned by the fact that 20, 39 South Asians were found in a refrigerated lorry the other day. 25 of these people are from the same church in Vietnam and many of them young. The phone call or the text message from inside the refrigerated lorry from a girl of 26 said, Mom, I'm dying. I'm being suffocated. And so the traffickers who are arranging such journeys have no sense of value on life. One of the traffickers interviewed in a newspaper, Sunday newspaper, said, it's the luck of the draw. 
Some live, some die. There is no real value to them who are trafficking on the people who are being subject to such an ordeal. I've been thinking about the value that God puts on people and how much that God um, values each and every single person. And in this little church, you have such a variety of people. Um, some come in wheelchairs, or some come um, with some disability, uh, whatever. But every single person in this congregation this morning is valued by God. This is what the Bible says. Not even a sparrow worth only a halfpenny can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to him than a whole flock of sparrows. And when we think of that comparison this morning, there was another case this week you may well have picked up on the news, a brilliant Paralympic uh, lady from Denmark, I think. She didn't value her life because she had suffered so much pain. She decided to go through with euthanasia and take her life. And the number of suicides in this country are increasing at an alarming I have a friend in Edinburgh recently, full-time Christian work, he and his wife, two small children, six and two years of age. And Paul came home just the other day to discover his wife had taken her life, just with the pressure of life. And so this is happening across the country. Young people in London particularly have taken so many lives through knife crime. And uh, they don't value another person's life. And so the figures are shocking. 110 violent deaths. 21 teenagers, 19 of them stabbed to death. People put so little value on other people's life. The Lord Jesus put so much value on people if we could only understand this morning how valuable each of us are to him. One of the most, I think nearly the most beautiful parable that Jesus ever spoke was the parable that he spoke in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. We won't read the whole, I'll just outline and summarize that passage of Scripture. And the setting for that parable was this. Jesus, as often, was in the midst of a whole group of people. And there were two circles of people gathered around him, listening to him. There was an inner circle of people. And you could describe them as the unchurch. They were the, um, the rebels of society. There were all kinds of, of people um, that didn't go to church in any shape or form. And 
They were looked down upon by the religious circle of people that were on the outside of the circle. And they were looking at Jesus, interchanging and interacting with these people. And they said, why does he talk to people who are scum? Scum. That's the word that's used. And when the Lord knew what was in their thinking and what they thought about the people that he was trying to communicate with, he said, let me tell you, those on the outer circle, let me tell you something. Let me tell you about a parable about the value of each person. And he gave the wonderful parable that's in three phases. The parable of one sheep that was lost, and the shepherd went to find it. And one little piece of silver that the lady that lost it sought to find it. And the story of a father that had one son that was lost, and he waited for him to come back. It's a beautiful story. And the main thrust of the story is this. Jesus wanted the outer circle, the religious men, the people that thought they were somebody and of some worth. He wanted them to know that what was lost was worth finding. It was of such value that whatever was lost, whether it be one sheep or one piece of silver or one rebel son, they were worth finding. So I want to say a little this morning, just that what's in my heart. Um, this was a message that I just wrote the other morning, moved by the story of the container. I want to talk about one sheep, one single sheep that was lost, one silver piece that was lost, one son that was lost. And it's very important to understand the profound meaning that Jesus put into these parable teachings. Because each of the people involved, the shepherd and the lady and the father in the story, all represent, all represent divinity and deity. You see, um, each one of these uh, people can be representative as well. We can be like the lost sheep. We can be like the lost piece of silver, or we can be like the lost son. The main point I want to make this morning is that God values every single person and spares no effort to find us. God is represented in this parable. That's why it's in three phases. For God is the three in one and one in three. The trinity that represents God is in this parable. The shepherd represents the Lord Jesus Christ, who was known as the good shepherd, who giveth his life for the sheep. The lady, the woman, represents the Holy Spirit. This amazing person in the trinity who searches until the Holy Spirit finds you. And the Father, of course, represents God the Father, patiently waiting for the choice that the person must make to return to him. The shepherd searching for one sheep. You know, one of the scariest moments in my life, years ago, 
when I was given responsibility to look after a grandson, Benjamin. He was probably three years of age. Kathy was up the town on a Saturday morning, and I was left in charge. And he was out playing. And I looked out, and I saw him playing with the next-door neighbor's wee girl. That was fine. Then after a while, I looked out again. Didn't see him. So I nipped out. We were around the back. Was they around the back? So I said to Helena, the next-door neighbor, where is Lisa? She was with uh, Benjamin. She says, I don't know. So we started to look near just around about the door. Couldn't find them. And you know the kind of panic that comes into your heart when you think, where is this little boy of three? So we started to run round about the street, and everybody we met said, have you seen a wee boy? No, no, no. And after about half an hour, I had nearly a heart attack. And I'm wondering, where? Because the wee girl that he was playing with is, um, suffers from paralysis, so they can't be far. But as time went on, I couldn't find them. And then Kathy returns. She says, what's happened? I says, I've lost Benjamin. She nearly choked me. She said, what will you do? I said, well, and we, we got everybody out. The neighbors out, everybody out. The husband of the next door neighbor, he went away running up here and running up there. And an hour and a half had passed. And we still had Benjamin lost. Then eventually, we found the two of them coming back from Strathclyde Lake. They'd been down at the lake which was a very long distance for two wee ones to go to. I nearly choked Benjamin with love when I found him. But, you know, it's one of the scariest moments in your life, and many a parent may have had that. If you've had a child out in the town and you've been shot them and you turn around and they've gone, even just for a few moments. The value, of course, is that he was my grandchild. I realized when he was lost, how much I loved him. That's when you discover how much does Jesus love you and me this morning? How far was he prepared to go and search to find us? The Bible tells us he came to Bethlehem, and then he went to Nazareth, then he went to Jerusalem, and he went to Calvary. That was the distance that Jesus was prepared to go in order that he might find us. I wonder how long this morning has Jesus been searching to find you and to enable you to become a child of his family. He considers each one of us of such value that he is prepared to make a superhuman effort to find us. There's an old-fashioned hymn written by Elizabeth Clefane from Edinburgh, way back in 1830. The words are these. There were ninety and nine that safely lay in the shelter of the flock, but one was out on the hills far away, far off in the cold and dark, away in the mountains wild and bare, away from the shepherds tender, But none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night the Lord passed through ere he found the sheep that was lost. Out in the desert he heard its cry, 
all bleeding and helpless and ready to die. That hymn was made famous by a soloist called Irie Sankey, who was the soloist for D.L. Moody. And uh, it's a beautiful melody. You could hardly believe this. But Moody was in Glasgow having a campaign around 1870. And they were to have a service in Edinburgh. And they were traveling through in the train from Glasgow to Edinburgh. And Sankey was sitting reading a newspaper. And he came across these words. He thought, these are beautiful words. It was like a poem. So he cut the clipping out of the paper and put it in his pocket. And then when they got to Edinburgh and Moody had this service and he preached a great gospel message about the lost getting found. And then he said to Sankey at the end, would you sing a song? And he thought, what will I sing? He said, if I sing the Lord's my shepherd, they'll all know it and join in, so I'll not sing that. And then in a flash, the Holy Spirit said, sing the poem that's in your pocket. And he drew out that clipping and he put it in his wee harmonium. And he said to the Holy Spirit, give me a tune. And and the Holy Spirit gave him the tune that we still sing. And that was a moving, moving moment as people listened to these words. How deep were the waters crossed? How dark was the night that the Lord passed through ere he found the sheep that was lost? I wonder if this morning you may be found by Christ. Secondly, the spirit searching for one coin. The woman had ten, it says, very valuable uh, pieces of silver, but she loses one. She will not give up searching till she finds it. You ever felt, and I've lost my Bible this morning, (laughs) I need to find it, but you ever felt at home you've you've lost something and you've no idea where it is? And... uh, you know, Kathy's famous at losing things. Um, I come in the other morning, she says, I had such a panic because I wondered where I had put this envelope with some money in it. And I've searched the whole house. And, but I said, have you found it? She said, I found it eventually. I said, relax, as long as you've found it. You ever been in a situation where you're searching for something and you say, I have no idea where I put that and I cannot find it. And so, um, here we have just that human kind of uh, story. The diligence of the Holy Spirit is quite remarkable. The Holy Spirit is one of the, de- one of the Trinity. He is deity. He is God. He's invisible, nevertheless real. It's the Holy Spirit who brings you at times to church. Within you, the Holy Spirit motivates. It's the Holy Spirit who puts thoughts of God into your mind. It's the Holy Spirit that makes you to think about your soul's salvation and about heaven or hell. It's the Holy Spirit who is active in the circumstances of our lives. It's the Holy Spirit who knows the value of every person and wants us to understand what value God places on us. We may be limited because of our health, and um, we need extra special care. 
And we may just feel less than 100%. God values us in such a way. And so this morning, there's no one here in this church by chance. God is searching for you that he might bring you into his kingdom. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that causes you to think about spiritual things. And it makes us make choices. The third part of the parable is the most touching, the most moving part. It's the sovereign God who's waiting for us to come home. The picture sometimes of this parable is described as the parable of the prodigal son. But actually, the parable is more about a loving father. It's all about the father and about God. And the father, if you allow me just to rehearse for a moment the details of the story. The father does not oppose the son saying, I want to leave home. And I want you to give you, I want you to give me my share of the estate before I go. He demands his share. He wanted to go and do his own thing. He wanted no restrictions, no discipline in his life. He, went, he wanted to go and spend and enjoy all he had until his resources were exhausted. And then the story unfolds as he finds himself in a low and dark place. He finds himself now in life with no friends and no money and uh, no job and no food. There are no food banks. He comes to his senses, it says, and he makes a very wise decision. Because in his mind and in his memory, God reminds him of home and father and servants and all that they have available to them. He says, I'm going back home. I'm going back home. And I'm prepared to say to my father, I'm sorry. One of the most difficult things for any person ever to say, not only to each other, but to God. I'm sorry for my sin. He was wondering in his mind, would I be accepted? Having wasted all that the Father gave me and wasted my life in many ways, will I be accepted? Will I be welcomed? What is the attitude of the Father? It says he's waiting with a heart full of compassion and beating for the Son. And so the parable helps us understand what God is like. We, have, we need have no fear about coming to God and finding that he's welcoming and he's able and willing to receive us. God is loving and forgiving. One of the greatest blessings that God offers to a sinner is the forgiveness of sin. And so... Um, the father has respected the decision of his son. He's not forced to come back to the father. That was his own personal choice. Could I say this morning, there's someone in this gathering, and you need to come to God. It may be you need to come back to God. You've got away from God. 
It may be you've never, for the first time, come as a sinner to God. What is God like? God is waiting with a heart of compassion and love. He's waiting for you to come. And he is willing to hear what you want to say. And if we're prepared to come with a humble spirit that says to God, I'm sorry for the years I've lived without you. I'm sorry for all that I've tried to do on my own without you. God the Father is ready and willing to receive. There was a boy once who was the son of a very wealthy um, industrialist in New York. And in these family situations, sometimes the father gives too much, too easy. And so this boy got a lot from his father and rebelled and went and wasted his life. Spent, misspent through alcohol and all the rest. The years passed without any contact with the father. And one day in a building in New York City, Two policemen found this boy lying on a mattress, dying with alcoholic poisoning. And he made a request to the policemen when they said, who are you, where are you from, what's your background? They said, he said in a pathetic voice, I want my father's forgiveness. I want my father's forgiveness. He kept saying that. So they got a hold of his name, and out of kindness, the policeman made contact with the father and communicated that there was a boy lying in a flat on a mattress, dying. And he asked for your forgiveness. And the father said, where is the location? And he went as quick as he could. Found the flat, found the boy, got on his knees beside him, and he heard his son say, Dad, I want your forgiveness. The father said, son, you could have had it years ago if you'd only asked. If you'd only asked. Don't wait till it's too late before you seek God's forgiveness. Let's pray. <coughs> father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to be here in town head. And for every single person that's here, we thank you for the value that you've placed on each one. You know every one of our names. You know every one of our circumstances. And despite our sinfulness, our waywardness, you love us. And we thank you for that. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus who went to the cross to die for us because of his love. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that has worked in our lives and brought us to this service this morning. And we thank you that God is waiting for some person to come and find salvation. So bless this little message and help each one of us, Lord, every one of us, to recognize the value that God has placed on us from the smallest child to the oldest person and we ask that this would be a moment for someone to remember for the rest of their life. 
We commend ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us. And if you find my Bible, <laughs> I would be appreciative. I look forward to seeing all who are available to come at four o'clock. Last week I was very encouraged at the numbers of people that were able to come back. And I won't be here for a while unless Willie books me up. So this is my kind of parting shot this afternoon, who knows. And uh, I might see some of you on Friday night because George Verver is worth hearing. Thank you for this morning.